Hello, I'm Monica Reinagel, and you're listening to the Nutrition Diva Podcast. Welcome. I have two really good listener questions for you this week. Mars' question is about the relationship between diet and skin conditions. And their email began with some very kind words about the podcast. I wanted to say how much I appreciate what you do, they wrote. People who can wade into scientific studies and convey that information in an easy-to-understand way are rare. Not only that, but you do it with empathy and self-awareness. It's easy to shake one's head at people who get obsessed with superfoods or fad diets, but you remind me to be compassionate and patient and to listen and understand before launching into explanations. So thank you for your patience and your work in transforming misinformation and gut reactions into thoughtful conversations and learning experiences. I take the time to read this because this means the world to me. It's my goal in this podcast to never shut someone down or make them feel stupid for something that they've asked or something that they believe. My intention is to help us all move toward a greater understanding of the facts, but also of each other. I don't always get that right, but it is especially meaningful to hear that some of that comes through. So thank you so much, Mar. But as I said, Mar also had a question having to do with eczema and the role that diet plays. Do you have any tips on what to eat to help control eczema? I've heard that dairy can cause flare-ups, but also that fermented dairy can help. Some people do find that diet can be a trigger for eczema flare-ups, but as with other conditions that have dietary triggers, I'm thinking of things like migraines or acne, Which foods trigger reactions varies from person to person. So while there are certain foods that seem to be more common triggers, it still requires some trial and error to figure out which, if any, are triggers for you. People who suffer from eczema are also more likely to have food allergies, and obviously you'd want to avoid any foods that you are allergic to. But even if they don't cause full-blown allergic reactions, Some people with eczema find that common food allergens like peanuts, cow's milk, eggs, and wheat provoke an inflammatory response that kicks up their eczema. Tomatoes and citrus fruit are other common triggers. So many of the dietary recommendations that you'll see for reducing flare-ups just suggest that you avoid all of the most common triggers, but this can be unnecessarily restrictive because it might only be one or two that are actually causing problems for you. Now, you may have seen ads or articles about blood tests that claim to identify food tolerances or food sensitivities, but these are really not reliable. Unfortunately, the only reliable way to identify your food triggers is to do an elimination diet. And I say unfortunately only because it's kind of a pain. You begin by eliminating all of the most likely culprits for a few weeks, and often this leads to a significant reduction in symptoms, but that's just step one. Step two is to start reintroducing them one at a time to see how you tolerate them, and you'd want to leave a few days between introducing new foods because the reactions can be somewhat delayed, and if you do have a reaction, you want to have a clear sense of which food most likely caused it. You may find that there are some foods that you really don't tolerate in any amount, but there are likely many others that you can tolerate as long as you don't have too much or too many of them at once. 
And keep in mind that stress or illness, both of which can ramp up background inflammation levels, may lower your tolerance to foods that you normally do okay with. So you need to experiment to find which foods in which amounts and which combinations you can get away with. And if your food sensitivities are particularly numerous or your symptoms are very severe, it can be really helpful to work with a nutrition professional who specializes in this type of detective work. I know that all sounds kind of tedious, but I think it's worth it because eventually you will be able to enjoy a wider range of foods with fewer flare-ups. And now a question from Catherine, who writes, I've lowered my saturated fat intake in an effort to reduce my cholesterol. And over the past several months, I've managed to bring it down about 40 points by reducing my red meat consumption. I've also started to look for substitutes for full-fat dairy products like ice cream. And some of these, such as coconut milk-based frozen desserts, have quite a bit of saturated fat. Is there a difference in the saturated fat of these two products in terms of how they affect my health? As Catherine discovered, reducing your saturated fat intake from food can be an effective way to reduce your blood cholesterol levels. It's far more effective, in fact, than reducing your intake of dietary cholesterol. But saturated fats are a whole family of different fatty acids. And here's a quick review for those of you who might need just a little refresher on your fatty acid chemistry. All fatty acids are hydrocarbons. That means they're built from carbon and hydrogen atoms. And the carbon atoms form a sort of backbone to which hydrogen atoms attach in various configurations. So when each of the carbons in that chain is linked to two hydrogen atoms, we say that it's fully hydrogenated or saturated. If some of the carbons have only one hydrogen partner, well, then it's an unsaturated fatty acid. But these saturated fats come in a variety of lengths. Butyric acid, the stumpy little thing, just four carbons long, but fully saturated. And butyric acid is found in butter. I always remember that because butyric and butter sound sort of alike. Stearic acid, on the other hand, is a rangy 18 carbons long, And meat is relatively rich in stearic acid. You can remember that because stearic sounds sort of like steer. (laughs) Lauric acid, which is found in coconut oil, is right in the middle in terms of chain length. It has 12 carbons. And I'm afraid I don't have a handy mnemonic device for that one. So the question is whether all saturated fats tend to increase blood cholesterol or only some of them. And by extension, Is butter better or worse for your cholesterol than beef or coconut oil? Or, as Catherine is wondering, would a frozen dessert that's high in coconut oil be any better than full-fat ice cream? So you would think that this question would have been settled by now, but there's not as much human research as you might expect, and the results are a bit mixed. The effects of different fatty acids on cholesterol levels also vary depending on the total amount of fat and saturated fat in your diet, as well as whether or not you have other risk factors for cardiovascular disease. All of the different types of saturated fat, including those in coconut oil, do tend to increase total cholesterol levels, but there are some significant differences in their effects on HDL, that's the good cholesterol, and LDL, which is the quote-unquote bad kind. So here's my best advice. 
based on the research that I reviewed. If cholesterol is a concern, you are probably wise to limit your saturated fat intake from all sources to no more than about 10% of your calories. And for the typical adult, that's going to be about 20 to 25 grams per day. Monounsaturated fats, such as those found in olive oil and avocado, are really your best bet as your primary fat resource. And here's a fun fact for you. Most cuts of beef contain roughly equal amounts of monounsaturated and saturated fat. That surprises a lot of people. That's not true of butter, which is mostly saturated fat. Now, I really like the taste of butter, so I blend up a stick of butter with an equal amount of olive oil, an equal amount is half a cup, to make a better butter that is about half and half monounsaturated and saturated fat. And as another plus, it's spreadable straight out of the refrigerator so it won't tear up your toast. But back to Catherine's original question. In terms of the effects on cardiovascular risk, a coconut-based frozen dessert would appear to be a better choice than full-fat ice cream. Both might have comparable amounts of saturated fat, but the saturated fatty acids in coconut oil are less likely to drive up that LDL or bad cholesterol. However, if your goal is to reduce your total cholesterol levels, then you'd probably want to save those full-fat frozen desserts for special occasions. And in that case, I think you can afford to have whichever one tastes better to you. If you have a nutrition question you'd like me to answer, you can email it to me at nutrition at quickanddirtytips.com or leave me a message at 443-961-6206. If you're looking for more support for healthy weight management, please also check out the tools and the resources at wayless.life where our goal is to help people create the habits, mindset, and lifestyle that help them weigh less without dieting. That's at weighless.life. Nutrition Diva is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Nathan Sems with script editing by Adam Cecil. Thanks also to Morgan Christensen, Holly Hutchings, Davina Tomlin, and Cameron Lacey. And I'm Monica Reinagle. Thanks for listening and remember to eat something good for you.